Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the show, my weekly show, called Father Roderick, and that's who I am, a Dutch podcasting priest in the center of the country. We're fortunately not in lockdown, but I'm inside behind my microphone, keeping social distancing with all those of you that are listening. I'm doing social distancing both in time and in space, which is crazy. Um, as always, I'm recording this when in front of a, well, in front of, with a live audience watching me. And I'm very excited because for the first time, for the first time in many weeks, I'm streaming this to both Facebook and YouTube, which is a little bit of a of a, an impossible thing because the software that I'm using, Streamlabs OBS, um, just recently made this uh, a, a, an exclusive feature that you had to pay for. And so I was debating on whether I should get a subscription. It's pretty expensive. It's 12 bucks a month, and you have to pay a year in advance to get that price. Otherwise, it's $19 per month, which is pretty steep, I think, for something that they were offering for free in the past. But then I, was, I, I relaunched the software and then all of a sudden I saw that I, there was an option to stream to multiple platforms and I do not recall signing up for their Prime uh, functionality. So right now there is both a Facebook audience, well, or my friends, I should say. It's, I know all these people. My friends on Facebook are watching and my friends on YouTube are watching. And you are listening to this maybe a day later or hours later or years later. Who, who can tell? So greetings from the future or the past, depending on when you're listening to this and the time-space continuum. It's way too late to think about these things. Uh, also, a big thank you again, as I do always at the start of this show, to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. They make it possible for me to do this work. Um, I have to finance it all by myself. I don't get a check from the Vatican. I enjoy it so much, but I wouldn't be able to do it without their help. If you want to help out as well, check it out. And in return, I give you access to a special feed with another show, another weekly show, just like this one, but very different topics. We talk about food, about history, about liturgy, about technology. We always talk about technology. And I give you a lot of kind of personal insights and behind-the-scenes information. So if you enjoy that kind of stuff and you have the means, of course, to, to support me a little bit, then check it out at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So it was a bit of a scary uh, day today when, we, when I heard on the news that all of a sudden the amount of infections... Uh, that are detected in my country, infections with uh, coronavirus, of course, is is suddenly on the rise. It doubled between yesterday and today. And they immediately added the reassuring uh, note that uh, this was probably because we were testing so much more. And I'm thinking, oh, wasn't there a certain American president that also kind of <laughs> made his point like that? Oh, well, we're testing a lot. That's why there more people are sick. Um, I'm not sure if it works like that. But anyway, um, it shows you that how, vig how vigilant we still need to be. We have definitely flattened the curve here in, in, uh, in most of Europe, even though in, in some countries and some regions uh, infections are on the rise, especially Spain, uh, some areas in France also. Um, Germany also, I think. Here in the Netherlands, we've been exempt of you know, any significant rise in statistically. However, there is no vaccine. The virus is just as easy to transmit as it was before. So it's only a matter of time for, for some new occurrences appearing. Hopefully, they can just you know, put a certain region in lockdown and hopefully it won't spread. I think we're pretty good at, at, at keeping our distance. And we, we, I think my country has done a good job in, in trying to take this really seriously. However, it's summertime. You know, people are outside. Uh, and, and it's so easy to forget, especially because almost no one here in the Netherlands is wearing masks. Only in public transport, it's it's compulsory. But uh, our government says that it's you know wearing masks is probably not going to prevent much of you know the uh, in terms of of um, the spread of the virus and could cr create a false sense of safety. Now, as I'm following also a lot of the international news and. Uh, a lot of scientists disagree with that. They they actually do see a significant difference in trans 
transmissibility of the virus uh, between, you know, people or populations that wear masks and those that do, do not. So, I don't know, maybe it's just luck that we haven't had any, you know, s- big explosions of the virus, but it can change very, very rapidly. So, we all have to stay vigilant. For me, personally, it's also a little bit scary because I'm uh, readying myself to start filming my TV show. So, I'm, I'm producing uh, 15 episodes for Dutch National TV. I've been doing that work for um, more than 10 years now. Um, but this time, I'm staying in the Netherlands. So, I'm filming everything myself uh, just to keep it as safe as possible. It's much easier, of course, to keep my distance and to keep the situation. Oh, and also for the people that I that I want to interview, it feels much more reassuring if they know that it's just me with a camera um, in, instead of a, an entire camera crew. Um, but it's still quite, you know, I'm going to be all over the place. I'm going to... Uh, ride my bike through the Netherlands. That's the concept of the show. And then I visit uh, various regions. Uh, I meet interesting people. And I try to film it as as well as possible by myself. I have some experience with it. So it's uh, I've learned a lot by just vlogging. But I'm going to in- introduce some new um, techniques. Uh, one of which is I- I'm going to be filming while I'm on my bike. Filming with probably a gimbal and my phone because it's lightweight. I've looked into, I did a lot of research in, into getting a gimbal for my, um, for my camera, uh, my uh, Canon M50. But then I'm thinking, you know, the gimbal itself is like a kilo and a half, like three pounds. The camera itself is another, you know, half a pound or, well, probably a pound. Um, and then I still have to ride my bike. That is not going to be very safe. So maybe I'll just film it with my phone, you know. It's, it's super lightweight and my, it, it's acceptable for... for uh, I've, I've been producing t- TV shows with my phone, just with filming with my phone, and nobody actually noticed it. Um, and then the, 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 sec- the other technique that I'm going to introduce, every show will have drone images. I bought a small DJI drone and I've never flown it. And that's pretty scary too. Uh, so I'll, I'll the next couple of days I have to really start training with that drone because my first uh, shooting session is already this upcoming Wednesday. I'm going to interview uh, a friend of mine who is a Dominican friar. He's very young. He is in his twenties, I think. Um, he lives in normally in in Switzerland, but he is from the Netherlands, and he's he uh, he created a YouTube channel a while ago focusing on Gregorian chant, and that went viral. And so he's got tens of thousands of people watching his his videos, and and currently he is he is in the Netherlands visiting his parents and uh, taking a bit of a holiday, uh, so or summer vacation. So I, I I call him up and I was like, can I can I make an episode about uh, about Gregorian chant and your vocation and everything? And he agreed to that. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing, ah, oh, that's up this 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 Wednesday already. I've never. I mean, the drone is still in in its plastic. <laughs> I didn't even unpack it. So, oh well. It, it, for me, this is usually the way I learn the fastest. Is just go for it. I've never done this before, but one you have to start one day, and it's I learn a lot just by doing, and probably also failing a little bit, but I have enough experience, I think, to pull it off. So it's going to be interesting, but then again, of course, if the virus starts uh, going rampant again, and we're all going in lockdown, then I will probably be in big trouble, because how am I going to create a TV show when everybody has to be in lockdown? So I'm really, really hoping that well, the situation will stabilize soon, and this is not the beginning of a new outbreak or a new wave. Um, and so I'm, I'm really trying uh, to do as much as I can in a limited amount of time so that I, I have a certain you know, margin when it comes to the, the, the overall virus uh, situation. And and if worst case scenario, I can always go back to previous footage that I have still in my archives and and produce a couple of episodes based on that. I mean, I've been to China a number of years ago, only did one episode about that, and it was years ago, and I had to compress 
I think, two weeks of travel into one 25-minute episode. I have enough footage to, to, to fill uh, at least 10 episodes with that. So there, I, I have some, some backlog, some, some archival material. But of course, it's much more fun if it's, uh, if it's fresh and new. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of what I, what I'm preparing for uh, this week. Also, a lot of stuff happening here in the rectory. I uh, talked a little bit about it in my other shows and maybe in previous episodes of this show. So renovating the rectory, um, the electrical wiring, the floors. Three rooms are now fully finished, and it looks so different. It, it, it feels as if I'm living in a new house. And for the first time... Maybe in the first time in 20 years, I feel like I have a home. I've always lived um, in, in rectories where, you know, I just did the minimum, usually because I just didn't have time. And, and, and I'm not very uh, handy when it comes to uh, refurbishing stuff or especially not with electricity. Um, but this time, I have some friends that are helping me with that and also a parishioner who used to be an electrician, they're doing such a, a tremendous amount of work and it and the result is is fantastic. So I'll, I'll probably in the next couple of days I'll post some, some Instagram photos to uh, share that with you. Um, but I'm super happy, but it is also very time-consuming. Um, there are days that I'm just just doing that. For 10, day, 10 hours per day, we're just working on you know getting everything back in place and a lot of my stuff is currently in the attic and i have to sort it out like for instance my books i have thousands of books well not let's not exaggerate well actually i do have a couple hundred hundred books but i can't possibly put them all back on the shelves a lot of those books i bought when i was a student i didn't have much money so they're all pocket books and they're falling apart they're printed on cheap paper and i just keep them because there's no ebook version of those books but so i'm i'm now i'm going to have to sort through all those boxes full of books see which ones i really want to keep and and even put on display the ones that look nice that are you know good quality books the rest i'll probably have to catalog and just either sell it or or give it away or stow it away um, so it's also this process of, of shifting through my stuff and, and simplifying. Um, last year, I've been really diving into the minimalism uh, movement uh, that has taught me a lot about... Uh, it's not really about getting rid of stuff, but it's about keeping the stuff that is of true value to you and that means something to you and all the rest. It's just, why would you keep it? It's just suffocating you. And... I've already minimal, minimized a lot of my belongings. I think I, I did away with about half of my stuff last year. But now that I'm moving everything around, I still realize I have so much stuff. I have so much stuff. I need to simplify even more. And the fact that I can start anew with all these rooms gives me an, gives me an opportunity to really pick and choose and think about you know what really fits this room, what is useful and necessary for me to have within reach, and what is just burdensome, you know, stuff that belongs in a museum but not in my home. It's a fascinating process. I'm learning a lot. Um, and I may talk about this a little bit more in, in future shows because uh, there are actually some skills that I need to learn and master. For instance, how to decorate uh, bookcases. I, I'm, I'm looking to my left as if people that are watching me right now are able to see what I'm looking at but I'm in front of a green screen so to them I'm in the Shire I'm, I'm, I'm in my hobbit hole here <laughs> back end but actually I'm in in the, in the studio room downstairs and there's this huge bookcase or actually it's three bookcases that I bought years ago at Ikea's and um, I'm, I'm currently redecorating those bookshelves for to use as a background for uh for more youtube streams so i really want to get into the rhythm of producing multiple commentary videos every week uh probably a lot about star wars and and related stuff and i felt that you know green screen is fun if you are in a hurry and you just want to create something that looks you know kind of good on on on, on social media but it still feels a bit artificial. I'd rather have a real background so I can do the, like the fuzzy background and everything and, and play around with light. 
but uh, but but just redecorating those bookshelves that is that's an whole art. I, I, so I'm looking at a lot of YouTube videos uh, with tutorials, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that is why it always looks so cool on TV, and and why some of these vloggers have such awesome backgrounds. It is all about balance, and so anyway, it's a it's a a, f- a really fun activity to do during the summer months and it's also distracting me a a bit from the current situation in the world and sometimes we just need to escape from that and it's way too hot to play video games anyway so i'm only podcasting right now because it's it's cooling down outside it's been really hot in the netherlands and it's it's now uh, while i'm recording this it's right 9 30 in the evening so downstairs it's getting a little bit cooler but uh but when i'm when i'm redecorating my house it's it's uh it's distracting me also from from the heat. Uh, Mary Kondo is also, uh, I think, a, one of the many faces of this minimalism movement. It's it's very um, uh, kind of based on the on a, a Japanese philosophy that that every everything has a, a soul in a certain way, and so it's a lot about being thankful for every object. Even when you throw away something, you can't just throw it away. You have to first thank that object for having played a part in your in your life. It's, it's interesting, very interesting approach. But she's also a lot about kind of uh, restructuring chaos, whereas the minimalism, the, the, the hardcore minimalism, is about, you know, just only keep what you really need and what adds value to your life. And... So Mary Kondo would probably say the things that, um, what is it, make you, the, what is her, her token phrase, the, 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 that share happiness, that give happiness, that, I don't know, generate happiness, sparkles. <laughs> the, the minimalism um, movement, and I, I, most, I've learned the most from uh, the minimalists, which is a, uh, two guys, that have this great podcast series, also a documentary on Netflix, by the way. The min- it's called The Minimalists. Um, and that was really eye-opening uh, in the sense that it, it has helped me to discern so much better what I, what I need, and, but also opened my eyes to all the stuff that is cluttering up my life. Oh, it sparks joy. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was like, it's something with sparks and sparkles and sprinkles and whatnot. <laughs> Does it spark joy? Well, I'm keeping a lot of stuff, like my phone. Does this phone spark joy? And eh, now it's just a black slab of metal and, 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 and glass and electronics. So no, it doesn't spark joy, but I'm definitely not going to throw it away. So I'm not sure if that, that criterion always works. Um but it's 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 just a way of sorting through the stuff, and it's a like an awareness exercise. Um, why am I keeping stuff? Is it out of insecurity? Is it because I don't think that I have enough? There, there's a lot of psychological stuff underneath the, our our uh, tendency to to clutter up. That's nor here and there. It is time to move over to the first topic of our show, and that is the world of movies and TV shows. Because if there's one thing that we're all doing during these corona times is uh, watching a lot of TV. (laughs) I've never been so happy that I have a good TV and uh, that I just recently installed my home theater audio uh, because I can't go to the movies. I I don't risk it. Theaters have opened, but I just don't want to sit in a closed room with 100 people. (laughs) How do you not like movies? They're predictable, like... The guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So as we are all, I, I was just super frustrated by this coronavirus and by the way that it is affecting our lives, our, our culture, our societies, uh, the incredible amount of people that are dying and are seriously ill because of this virus, the economy that get, is totally down the drain in so many parts of the world. But now it's also causing a lot of my favorite movies and franchises to have all sorts of delays. And then it gets really personal. Star Wars has been postponed. 
I mean, I didn't even know that there was another Star Wars movie in production. They were floating some ideas, but they their, their official corporate message was, well, for the time being, no more Star Wars movies. We'll just do the Disney Plus thing. But yeah, we're going to back off of the theatrical releases because, well, Star Wars just needs some more time to, to mature. So... Of course, they, they'd given us some hints as to they would do a movie with uh, uh, Waititi. Um, there was another one with the guy from the Avengers, uh, for, uh, Marvel. Uh, what's his name? Feige. Um, uh, so, th- but th- apparently there was also a trilogy that was under in development, but none of that materialized. And I was like, oh, th- those are just ideas. They're just kind of like giving us something to think about and to debate on the internet. But they're probably going to take a while f- to before they release another theatrical movie. They want to make create some distance between um, the the uh, Luke Skywalker or actually the Skywalker saga and what's next in Star Wars. Well, it turns out there was actually a theatrical release planned for next year, and we only know this because now they've announced that. Oh, sorry, no, it's not going to be next year. It's going to be the it's going to be 2022. I'm thinking, oh, dude, dude, the fact that they now tell us that there was a Star Wars movie, a theatrical release planned for next year. Can you imagine how far ahead they are already with this? They would never tell us that if it hadn't, if they hadn't already decided exactly what that movie is going to be about and who's going to direct it and how they're going to realize it. I bet you that there was already a script, lots of pre-production artwork, lot, the, 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 whole, the whole movie was probably already on the verge of being shot. How intriguing is that? And now we have to wait another year because of corona? I mean, I understand it. I want, to, I want everyone to be safe, but we were so close and we didn't even realize it. Thank goodness for, uh, for Disney+. Plus For The Mandalorian Season 2, I'll talk a bit more about that in... Uh, Maybe in this show or or next show, um, and that's not the only movie or a franchise that w- that was delayed by the Corona situation. They also removed Mulan from from the schedule, the live action version of Mulan. Mulan is one of my favorite Disney movies because, well, I'm a quarter Chinese and I just loved the overall. It's it's an awesome animated movie, an awesome story. Uh, Amazing music. I love those songs. Um, and the trailers that we saw that they released. The movie is pr- probably completely finished. The trailer looked so good. I was so looking forward to it. And I think that it was about to... If there hadn't been a virus, it would probably already be in theaters. And and now it's completely removed from the schedule. It's, it, it's delayed indefinitely. Oh. And I know why. I mean, it's probably because if they release it now, who's going to watch it? And they've invested way too much money into this production, which is supposed to become a huge hit in China as well. They really did everything they could to make it appeal to, you know, this huge demographic, this this massive, massive market for Disney. Um, so they're not going to put this on Disney+. And I, I totally understand because, you know... There are already so many other reasons to be subscribed to Disney Plus. So, but to take it completely off off the schedule, just because of Corona? Come on. Anyway, and then another huge franchise, five movies that are going to be delayed because of the coronavirus. It's the entire Avatar saga that was already in production for years and years and years. Now. I have to be honest, Avatar, when it came out, didn't really appeal that much to me. It was heralded as this amazing 3D movie, and and uh, it, it, everybody was raving about it. And so I finally got to see it in theaters, and I was like, yeah, oh, that was cool. Mm, okay, what's next? I, I, it didn't grab me at all. I thought the entire environmental message was very much on the nose and uh, felt very forced. I thought the movie just lingered way too much on the, the, the blue planet with the blue people and the, 
there were a lot of very nice sequences, good-looking stuff, CGI, especially for the time, and it still holds up pretty well. But to say that it was unique, man, we've seen so much of that lately. Even in TV series now, they, they have visuals that are very much like what we saw in Avatar. So it has lost a little bit of its shine. And even back then, when I saw the movie for the first time, I was like, well, yeah, this is cool, but it, it, this wasn't the greatest movie I've ever seen. Some people likened it to Star Wars or The Lord of the Rings. And I was like, um, no, <laughs> no, that is absolutely not it. And I totally thought that Avatar would be long forgotten by now if it weren't for Cameron, who said, hey, I actually have ideas for five movies and I'm going to shoot all of them together and it's going to be Avatar every year. I hope for him that it works. And I, well, he's an incredibly talented filmmaker, so hey, I'll be the first to apologize if this turns out to be a massive epic saga that rivals Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm hoping for it, but based on the first movie, I... I'm not sure if it still works, if it's still relevant in a certain way. But then again, I, uh, I'm always happy to be surprised. So, now, to the meat of this segment. Let me give you a review of a series that I have binge-watched on Netflix, not because it was that good, but just because I was interested in the story, I wanted to know how the first season ended, and it was... Um, it was Pretty well done. Uh, didn't bother me. Uh, at least it didn't bother me as much as some people who read the, the the book on which this series is based. I'm talking about the first season of Cursed. And Cursed is the story, it's loosely based on the story of, uh, or the legend of Arthur and the sword. And well, we, we all know that one. But this series kind of, puts it, turns it all around, a little bit like what, um, it's probably not the right comparison, but uh, when when uh, Once Upon a Time came out, and they, they took all these very well-known fairy tales and gave it a twist. That is what Cursed tries to do. And so in the original tale, of course, Arthur uh, owns the, the sword Excalibur, and it's this... Uh, which I think is, is derived from, from original words that mean something like a very sharp blade or something like sharp cleft. And, uh, but it's this mythical sword um, that was even in some of the, of the versions, because this tale has been told in so many different versions over, over many centuries. Uh, the sword would have magical powers. It would, the, if you own the sword, it also got mixed up with the other legend of the sword and the stone, which originally were two different stories, and they, they kind of, at one point, were were mixed together, and so that's how you get all these different variations on the same story. Um, and the sword was given Arthur, of course, his. Uh, uh, his authority in a certain way, his power, and then you've got the Knights of the Round Table and all these stories about Lancelot. And, well, what Curse tries to do is to give it a twist because in the, in one, at least in some of the versions of the Arthurian legend, uh, the sword is handed to Arthur by the Lady of the Lake. So it's, it's this, this image of a hand reaching out from the water and so the sword rises from the water and, and Arthur takes it and that is how he gets into the possession of this, this mythical sword that will uh, f forge in a certain way his, his destiny. And so the, the, the writers have been, or of this show, the creators of this show were inspired by, I think, a young adult novel which was also called Cursed, I think. And it was a kind of a what-if situation. What if, what if the story of the sword actually had a prequel? What if this lady of the lake, who initially owned a sword, what if the sword was actually meant for her and not for Arthur? And that, that gave them the idea to, well, let's just twist this around. Let, let's use the ingredients and cook up something totally different. And that's what they try to do. Now, that is both the strength and also the flaw of this first season. It is the strength because it is, it, it, it plays around with all these, these well-known characters. You've got Merlin, you've got Arthur, you've got even Lancelot and some other people that I can't talk about because of spoilers. 
and then it completely thwarts your ex expectations and it's very different and um and and i was just like oh, okay i'm i'm interested to see what they do with this story and does it still make sense and they make some interesting choices especially when it comes to the character of merlin who is always we, we got when, when i say merlin you think of the uh, the bearded magician from from the disney sword in the stone uh animated movie uh, in this in this series he's a drunkard He's this weird, bald guy who is very unlikable, um, who actually derived his, his magical powers from the sword Excalibur, apparently, and then he loses the sword and is brought back to him, and then it turns out that he has a lot of secrets, a lot of kind of, and, and not all positive secrets. And so... Uh, I was intrigued. That's why I kept watching it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never... And, and, and at the same time, what they also try to do is they, they really try to modernize this, the way in which the story is told. That, to me, is its first flaw. There's a lot of dialogue in this series that just... It just doesn't work. This is supposed to take place in the Middle Ages, and yet a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the words, and the, the, the just the whole way in which people react to each other is so 2020. And it just jars with the overall, what you expect of a, uh, of a story that takes place in the Middle Ages. It, it becomes very, for me, it's, it's uh, immersion breaking. It's like, oh my goodness, that's not the kind of language that... No, it's it just feels so wrong. This is this is so modern day stuff. It doesn't fit the scenery, doesn't fit the original tale. It doesn't work. It's as if, you know, you're watching The Lord of the Rings and all of a sudden Legolas and Gimli start singing this rock song. You would be outraged, right? Like that, no. Uh, there was this this sequence in in one of the Harry Potter movies where they have that uh, winter ball you know, and there was this pop group or whatever, or heavy metal group, or I don't even, and they start, you know, playing this hard rock thing. I don't even know what kind of music it was because I turn it off all the time. And it's, it's like, no, this isn't, this is not working. The, the Harry Potter environment does not condone this type of music. It, it's just, it, everything is wrong about it. The same is true, I have to say it to my regret, of certain Star Wars movies, especially when George Lucas started to mess around with the, you know, the uh, special editions and started redoing some of those songs and make them a little bit more acceptable in a certain way. Remember the scene in Jabba's Palace where you had that this original song was already very outrageous and, and strange, and then... Lucas felt that he needed to kind of modernize it, and so you get this musical number, and it looks like something... Right now, if you watch it now, it feels dated. It's like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> really, don't do that. That is not the kind of music that works in the Star Wars universe. So, anyway, it's not exclusive to this, to this series to, to, to be a little bit too... Uh, to try to make a story attractive to to a young modern audience by <laughs> i would almost say that that sounds very very judgmental by lowering the standards to today's culture that 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 sounds wrong but you know what i mean it's like by trying to it's like an old guy trying to be hip you know like me i'm an old guy and I say hey today i feel really woke uh, uh, because i heard that word on the interwebs and so now i i i have a very woke day i hope you're very woke too i don't know what it means but it, i hope it makes me sound very modern you know it's like don't don't grandpa don't just use words from your generation we'll understand i mean why does the lord of the rings still appeal to us tolkien used in, in many ways very archaic language if you read some of his poems you can't get more archaic than that, but it immerses you in a language that fits the story, it fits the world that he tries to create. And I, I, I like that. And some series really try to do that well, even, even Star Trek. 
with the Klingon and with the, some other alien languages. I applaud the makers if they try to really um, try to make the culture in which the stories take place feel realist, realistic. With Cursed, I think they, they're going overboard with the modernization. Another flaw of the story is I feel that this first season, it may get better over time, this first season doesn't really choose what it wants to be. Uh, it, it, it tries to be this young adult romantic series. What there is just, Arthur is actually not a knight, he's just a crook. You know, he's like a bit of a medieval Han Solo type guy. Um, what they also really emphasized was how diverse the world was. So you've got characters from all sorts of ethnic background, backgrounds which is very cool for uh, today's audience and in a certain way also important. But at the same time, it's not very realistic. Come on. <laughs> in those days, uh, Europe was pretty much white guys and white girls. And uh, there may be the occasional traveler, but, um, but it, whereas in this, in, in this first season... Like, it's every, every character is from a, another part of the world. And, I mean, it works. It, and, and these are great actors, and I actually I enjoy that diversity. At the same time, it, it's also a little bit of, uh, it's world-breaking. It's like, mm, yep, uh, this does not really feel believable. Anyway. Um, oh, yes, and then, of course, there is the token, almost compulsory lesbian relationship. That is also so 2020. Not only does it have to be diverse, but we also have to, every show needs to, we needs to have this romantic relationship between two people of the same sex. And I'm not trying to judge that, but I, I'm just, I've got the feeling that, that, that this is just the language of today's movie making, today's culture. And, but in the story, it felt con contrived. I was like, well, come on, this story doesn't need this. And I, I, I understand why they do it, because if they don't, then, then, you know, the internet gets angry, and it's like, why aren't there any, you know, different... Gen why, why is the whole gender discussion not integrated in this story? It's a missed opportunity to... Sure, I understand. At the same time, it's like, oh, here we go again. It's like this trend a couple of years ago. It's a totally different thing, but... Um, I remember talking about this many times in, in this movie segment, about all these movies having no colors. It was just this, this trendy thing of completely uh, reducing the saturation of, of the images. And so a lot of movies, I remember there was this Terminator movie, it almost looked like I was watching a black and white movie. And I prophesized, prophesied, prophesied at the time that this too shall pass. There will be a time of distress where people will long for colorful images. And well, look at look at the streaming services right now. Look look at the most popular series. They're all super colorful. Even the Marvel universe went through this transition. Where the first, if you go back to the first few movies of the Avengers uh, saga. They look very pale and, and desaturated. And the more you advance in time, the more colorful these movies become. Think of Doctor Strange. Think of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Those movies are, have just eye-popping <laughs> colors. So I'm just saying every time has its own, its own rules, its own... Uh, compulsory ingredients. The, the only thing is that sometimes, especially if you if you take this mythical content of the Arthurian legend, you you almost deliberately date what you do. In in a couple of years, we're going to look back at that first season of Cursed, and we're going to think, oh, that is so two thousand and twenty. <laughs> Instead of thinking like what you do with with Lord of the Rings, oh, that is so timeless. That story still works today. I don't know. For me, that's a flaw of the first season. And then, it, it, so it tries to have this young adult romantic angle. Then it tries to be Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones, because we want to make a lot of money. And so there are these scenes with a lot of violence and where it gets very dark all of a sudden. But it, it jars with the, you know, 
uh, coming to age story and the romantic story that they're trying to tell. And then uh, the budget is not always an, big enough to do convincing special effects. And so a lot of what you see is just digital matte paintings where you can tell that it is yeah, kind of looking a little bit fake. Definitely not on par with Game of Thrones. And yet they are trying to do something that looks a bit like The Witcher and Game of Thrones. But um, they're, they're trying to do too much in a certain way. And then... Um, Finally, my final point of criticism is, uh, and that you can say that of many different productions uh, of the past decade, the way in which they depict medieval Catholicism, because Christianity was Catholicism at the time, is so generic and so biased and so superficial. They show you these monks. They're actually paladins red all clothed in red robes and they're murderous and their uh, interpretation of their faith is well we just got to murder everyone and then god will be happy and i'm thinking oh come on no medieval christianity was not like that that is that is a mythology almost and it is so not what Christianity... It's also absolutely not what the Arthurian legend was all about. But this feels like, oh, well, we need a good nemesis. It's the Middle Ages. Okay, who's the enemy? The church, of course. Okay, so we'll just do evil monks. And then there's this uber evil monk, like the weeping monk. And we'll make him hot and sexy and yet at the same time lethal and dangerous and Darth Moly. And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> why? Why does would there be a religious order that reads the gospel that tries to be to follow Jesus Christ? Why how could they interpret the Bible to be this recipe for murdering everyone? There's no internal logic in that. There's even even in the series they don't explain it. They don't give uh, any reason for these for these folks to be this evil. And and so it falls flat and you're like, "Oh, come on." And then there are some 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 sisters that are kind of portrayed more in a more neutral way. So, um, but then these sisters are all like super. Um, how do you say that? Like very modern, and uh, um, and then of course there's the token evil sister that this dark, this very creepy. Uh, almost possessed girl that is just looking with these dark eyes. It's like, who is the next one I can murder? And again, you're like, okay, motive. <laughs> Where does she? How is? Why is she? She so evil? All that is not developed. At least not developed enough. And so those are all lore-breaking elements. So, and yet, and yet, I keep watching this series. Uh, and and it is enjoyable for what it is. It's not very good. It's not very good. But there are some twists in the story that are interesting. I like that they are challenging me to go reread the Arthurian legends, or at least to read up on them and see what they changed. I also liked how in the last few episodes, and I can't really go into detail because of spoilers, how they tie a lot of the characters that you get to know under different names, tie, tie, tie them back to the characters of the original Arthurian legend. And so it, th that actually reassured me that, oh, these writers are, 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 are not cherry-picking just some names and some elements and then just do their own thing. No, they actually have, they have thought about this. Um, so I'm interested to see where... where it will go um, mixed feelings, mixed feelings. It, it, I, I think this could be so much better. You know what this reminds me of? Of the Chronicles of Shannara. The, 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 the way MTV turned those very beloved books into a television series for, for teenagers, basically. And it was okay, but oh, it could have been so much better. And there were so many concessions to what the makers and the producers perceived to be the trends of the time. And now you're watching it and it's like, oh my gosh, I wish they would redo Shannara Chronicles and do it well, do it, you know, Game of Thrones quality level. It's a much better story than Game of Thrones. It deserves better than 
the version that we saw. I'm I'm still withholding my judgment on Cursed. Maybe maybe it will get better. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Catholics rock. Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about those weird Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So today I want to talk a little bit about uh, an often misunderstood element of the Catholic faith, and that is the community of saints. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. So, saints, often portrayed in the form of statues and pictures and paintings and icons in Christianity for as long as Christianity has uh, existed. Um, just this recent trend of, of Protestant churches not having depictions of, of saints or not having any depictions, n- n- not even of, of Christ. I mean, a lot of the crosses in, in Protestant churches don't have a crucifix. Um, Oh, that is actually quite quite recent. It's the Reformation that 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 wanted this, but for all the centuries beforehand, um, Christians have been painting uh, not just Christ and and angels and biblical scenes, but also portraits of people that they saw as examples, as incarnations of. Well, this is what Christianity looks like if someone really seriously puts it into practice. And so if they can do it, you can do it too. Um, and uh, the, the, the misunderstanding when it comes to saints often comes from people that have a Protestant background. And they say, well, you know what? That's all, you know, Catholicism has a lot of cool stuff. And yeah, a lot of things that maybe we, we have, we, we've thrown away too quickly in the, in the Protestant church. But uh, what's the deal with those saints? We're not supposed to venerate saints and you know our our admiration our prayer should go to god not to saints they're an in-between they're in the way just go to christ immediately and um i understand uh that criticism especially if you look at the the veneration of saints from from a distance and sometimes would could give you the impression that instead of worshiping god we're worshiping just mere humans but if you look a little bit closer, you will see that there is much more to the the role that saints play in the life of the Catholic Church and also in the history of Christianity in general that may give you occasion to rethink your position on, on the saints. Let me start with the beginning. Who are the most important saints for Catholics? It's very simple. The most important saint in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic tradition, is the mother of Jesus. It is the Virgin Mary. And we venerate her because that has been the case from the first century on. There have been, in, in, in Roman catacombs, you can find very, very early depictions of the Virgin Mary. Proof that even in those very early days of Christianity... The Virgin Mary was already considered to be someone who was given as an example to Christians and also, in a certain way, um, someone who would protect them. Um, She was depicted near the tombs as if she played a role in in bringing people to her son and and having a certain certain motherly protection over the dead. Uh, She was invoked during times of crisis when there were plagues, when there were wars, the Virgin Mary was uh, often asked for her help, for her assistance. And that is not just true for the Virgin Mary, also St. Joseph, and also the apostles were all venerated in all Christian cultures, wherever you go. Um, Even if you go to Ethiopia, where you have one of the most ancient forms of Christianity that is still conserved up until this day, what struck me when I visited one of the sanctuaries in Ethiopia and uh, Addis Ababa was the 
depictions of beautiful paintings and icons of, of saints. And saints from the earliest centuries, and not just saints, also martyrs were venerated like that. People who gave their lives because they were trying to spread the message of Jesus, tried to live by following him. They were persecuted. They were brought to death. They were sometimes threatened to be killed. And the only way to escape death was by denouncing Christ, and they didn't. And that's why they are venerated as martyrs. So this goes back to the very early days of Christianity. That's that's. Keep in mind the Protestant Reform is from the from the Renaissance. I mean, it's like after the Middle Ages, so relatively short time. Um, and then they're throwing away part of they that it, it, what what is tragic, I think, is that they've lost something that has been part of the of the Christian tradition for 1500 years all because of this idea and I'm sorry I'm always trying to understand why is it such a difficult thing and it's it's about this almost literal uh, interpretation of you shall not make images of of your God um, you know God is the only God that you, you should venerate I think what, what is missing in this way of looking at the, the Christian and Catholic tradition of uh, saints is the community aspect of it. Saints are always seen as the... That's why in the, in the creed we talk about the communion of saints. Saints are saints because they are in communion, first of all, with God, and, and thereby are also forming communion. They're, they are the best representatives of the church because they, they put into practice everything the church teaches, sometimes by giving their lives. And so that has, a great, it has always had a huge attraction, and a lot of the great religious orders and the renewal in the church has come from saints. And so they were not just preaching intellectually, they were showing and that's a much more important way of preaching than, than using words. And so the saints have played a pivotal role in, in, in making the church what it is and what it's supposed to be, a community of friends of Jesus. And, and, and because they're all trying to follow Jesus, there is also this natural friendship, friendship between the members of that church. So it's all about community. And when the Catholic Church venerate saints, it is because of this community that transcends death. There's one thing we know is that death is, has no sting in a certain way. Christ has, has defeated death, and so we believe in eternal life. If you take that seriously, it means that, that our souls are eternal. So it means that someone who lives exactly the way God intends us to live, well, if they live forever, then they're still there. <laughs> and we hope to see them again. There is this communion that is that death can't break. If death could break this communion, then you know what is the victory of Christ in all that? It is specifically the breaking the chains of death, breaking the barrier that death creates. Um, and it's connecting us with God and with the community around God. God is not alone in heaven. There, there, that's why in all these stories and all these these pictures, there's always God is surrounded by by angels, by martyrs, by saints. Even in the apocalypse, y you read about that. That is a Bible book, and it talks about this. It paints a mental picture of heaven, and it's crowded with people, and it's crowded with martyrs and with saints and. And, and it's a very visual picture. So what is the difference between a mental picture and just drawing that to help our imagination or to tell that story to people that, that were in, weren't able to read because they couldn't? It's just another way of communicating these, these biblical things and, and these ideas and, and our hope. And then when Catholics venerate saints, we never worship them. That would be create making that would be setting people in the in the place of God. We worship God, but we venerate saints. We honor them because they're helping us by their example while they were still alive, and with their prayers now that they're with God. 
we believe that saints are very close to God, and even in during his own life, Jesus has shown that uh, he uses other people to transmit his grace. Jesus is not, oh, just get out of the way, please, 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 all go kneel down, it's only me, I'm the son of God, and I will do this miracle. Okay, give me some bread, give me some fish, okay, here we go! No, that's not the way Jesus does miracles. He calls his apostles, he says, okay, you say we need to feed these people, what do you have? Oh, we just got some loaves of bread and some fish. Give it to me. You feed these people. And, and, and or actually, it's in verse. You feed these people. And then the, the apostles say, well, we don't have any food. The stores are way too far, far away. What are we going to do? Okay, what do you have? Uh, we have not much. Go distribute that. And then the multiplication of, of bread happens and everybody can eat. So already during his life, Jesus is using his apostles to help him reach people and feed people and heal people. He sends his apostles to go and heal people and perform miracles in his name. It's always linked to him. That is exactly the same logic that the Catholic Church applies to saints. They are messengers of God. They have represented the message of Christ with their actions, with their whole lifestyle. And why would they be in the way of God? if they show us what God wants us to see, it's like any other example. If I mean, look, look at you know, any great spiritual person that has inspired you in life. Would you, would you say that they've been between you and God? Like, oh, I wish that God would have talked to me directly. At least that person wouldn't be in between us. And he, no. <laughs> that person has, it's God's light that shines through that person. That's, that's how the Catholic Church considers saints. They're not, never in competition with God. They are part of God's family. They're, they're collaborating with him. They bring you to God. They reveal who God wants, uh, wants to be for you. But we're human. We need examples. We need people to relate to. We can't just live super intellectually as, as theologians thinking about, you know, the Trinity in theological terms. And if we think hard enough, that is actually, this, I think, part of the problem sometimes of, of Protestantism is that it was born in the Renaissance. And so it is very much influenced by the Renaissance philosophy at the time, where it was all very much centered on our mind, we need to think this through, and it's a very intellectual approach. And uh, we, there are so many aspects of life that are situated more on the, on the level of, of the heart, of the level of relationships, and not immediately intellectual things. And we, we, we cannot live, we're not Vulcans, right? We need feelings, we need examples, we need relationships. We, people that we can literally relate to. Saints are people that we can relate to because they are like us. And what does it mean to be able to relate to? It's to have a relationship. The, I could, there are many saints that have inspired me so much that I can't wait to meet them when I go to heaven. If I go to heaven, of course, it remains to be seen. Depends on how well I follow their example. But, but anyway, they, 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 for, to me, they're much more than just an example from the past. I see them as friends. They happen to be dead. Well, they happen to be... Actually, they're alive, but they're not on this earth. They live in, in God's reality, but it doesn't make them less real. Just as much as when I, when I talk to you... As a podcast listener, I'm actually, you're not here right now. Well, except for the people that are watching me on Facebook or on, on YouTube. But the big majority of you are not even here. And yet, I do have a relationship with you. You're real people. I can't see you. I can touch you. I, I, I don't have any proof that you are there, except for the download numbers. But what does the number say? So I have no proof that you're listening. And yet, here you are. You're hearing my words. And we have a relationship just goes to show that there's more than meets the eye when it comes to saints. 
So anyway, that was just a very brief, th- I need to move on because I'm, I'm very talkative today. I don't know if it's the heat or anything. <laughs> we need to wrap things up because I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm just going to postpone all the other stuff to the next show. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some books that I read, about Star Trek Lower Decks, and about Netflix and Google Home. But yeah, I'm, I'm running out of time. We need to wrap things up. I don't want to waste your time, especially not during the summer holidays. So thank you for listening so far. If you're a patron, you can look forward to Father Otric to the Max. This time I will give you my favorite pasta recipe, straight from only the only res- the only restaurant in Rome that makes this pasta. And I cracked its secret. Also talk a little bit about the moon landing. We'll talk about Comic-Con 2020, about the Lord of the Rings. What else is on my list? Star Trek Discovery. I'll talk a little bit about bells in the Catholic liturgy. And I talk about VR-ready computers. All that and more. Father Roderick to the max. Available to my patrons over at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. See you soon.